till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Uh, verse 20. Let me just jump to verse 20. For I said to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is a tall order. And Jesus said, except your righteousness exceeds that of the uh, scribes and Pharisees, that that individual will by no means enter into the kingdom. So tonight I want to speak uh, using the title, Not Under the Law, But Married to Grace. And this should be very easy for Sheon to say tonight. <laughs> so I'm going to let, let, let Sheon help me tonight. I said, not married, no, not under the law, but married to grace. <laughs> Praise God. You know, God is awesome. It's absolutely incredible. I got home last night and I had already set my heart in a particular way for tonight. And I sent information to Revelation to help get the PowerPoint ready for this evening based on where I was heading. And then this morning I woke up, uh, uh, I got an email uh, from someone in the church here, uh, actually Sebo, Sebo Badaki, asking me some, some questions about the law. Three questions she had for me. And as I read the questions, I said to myself, hmm, I said to my wife, I said, hmm, this is interesting. This will not be a bad idea to use this to address certain things that many of us are thinking about that we never perhaps had the platform or the opportunity to address. On top of the fact that Dr. Norfolk last night shared some things with me after the message. So I said, this is, I mean, so within, within 10 minutes, bang, 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 I had the subtitles for where to go. So it's amazing, and I'm sharing that openly tonight because I want us to understand the workings of the spirit. A lot of times we strive, we sweat, trying to make things happen. But what I'm finding out with grace is you need to lose control. You need to let go completely. The more at rest you are, the less care you take. Now, when I say less care, I'm not asking you to get in your car and, and start texting, I don't care, and just run into a tree. That's not what I'm saying, please. But I'm saying when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to uh, growing as a believer, when it comes to uh, fulfilling the pleasure for which you were born and created, I'm telling you it's a much better way to be married to grace and don't be under the law. So Jesus here says in Matthew chapter 5 that he came to fulfill the law and that except my righteousness and yours back in that day exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. We shall not make into the... Can you imagine that? Right off the bat, you should know that what he's saying is a no-go. He's raising the bar way high there that, listen, if you're going to make it based on the law, you better be prepared to exceed the righteousness 
of the scribes and Pharisees. So now, Sebo's question to me was, there, and what we're addressing tonight is the issue of the law. Not under the law, but married to grace. She said, basically in Israel of old, the law was broken into three parts. Number one, you have the ceremonial law. Number two, you had the civil law. And number three, you had the moral law. All three of those combined or together become the law, if you will, or the law of Moses, or the Mosaic covenant. And you find this body of scripture covered from Exodus all the way through Deuteronomy. Okay? Now, the ceremonial law deals with the animal sacrifices and all the ceremonial laws that God gave to Israel, which really, in reality, were intended to be a pointer to Jesus, who was to come and to become their savior. So the principle behind that was, as they obeyed God in fulfilling those ceremonies, God credited to them some form of righteousness. They were all right with God. They were acceptable to God. They had access to God. So Sebo's question was, or yes, her question was, yes, I understand we do not have to participate in ceremonial laws. However, how about the principle behind the laws when God gave it to Israel? Are those principles still in force today? Did you get that? No more animal sacrifices, but there was a reason for which God instituted it. So now that we are living after the cross, do we still, are we still obligated to honor and fulfill the principle? That's number one. Number two, concerning the civil law. The civil law was the laws that God gave to Israel that, that governed how they related one to another. Don't steal a man's ox, uh, 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 oh, wow. Civil laws. You know what civil laws are. <laughs> All the laws that help them live together in a community whereby nobody exploited the other person. Okay? And then the third one had to do with moral law. That's dealing with the morality uh, and talking about the, uh, the nature of who God is. And through those laws, we got a chance to know who or what God was like. So basically her question to me was, all of the guiding principles that made those laws, are they still in force today? Did you get the question? So that's where we are here, here tonight. So the subject again tonight is not under the law, but married to grace. Now, uh, Dr. Norfolk, I'm not sure if I want to go there because that's going to take me. I want to really get to the, the, the point here is let's, 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 okay, let's, let's, let's address this law issue. The law under Moses was a compilation of rules and regulations that was to guide the Jews in order for them to be accepted by God. So just remember this. Anytime you hear the law back in the day, it was the body of rules and regulations that God gave to Israel that they must do 
in order for them to be acceptable to God. So they had to do these things, and if they did them, God accepted them. If they did not do so, God did not accept them. That's the, yes, conditional, exactly. That was the premise behind all of that. Now, the favor and blessings from God depended upon their obedience. You see that in Deuteronomy chapter 28. We must also say that the law is holy, it is just, and it is good. Romans 7 verse 12. So the law in itself and by itself is holy. It is just and it is good. However, the law could never make anyone perfect. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 9 through 15. The law could never make anyone perfect. Number four, under this law. One of the primary reasons for which God gave it was to help establish man's guilt. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Now, I'm not reading all of these verses because I want to get to the main point as quickly as possible because I realize how much time uh, we're here for. But really, please take note of these scriptures. Again, one of the primary reasons for which God gave the law was to show man the futility of our effort in trying to appease God. But not only that, to help me and you recognize how depraved man is apart from God. So through the law, you recognize, my goodness. And it is in that thinking that you see your need for a savior or your need for God. Also, the law, according to Paul in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, aroused sin. Let's go read two of the scriptures. Let's, let's read uh, Romans chapter Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Not under the law, but married to grace. Romans chapter 3. I said to you earlier that it helped, established, it helped to establish that man's guilt. Romans chapter 3 verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become what? Guilty before God. Verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight Look at the last part of that verse 20. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, the point that Dr. Onofio brought to me last night, which is a very valid point, when we really look at the law and, and, and all of uh, what we are talking about here tonight, the law was not given to Moses until Exodus 20. And from what Paul is saying here, transgression, or sins were not charged to individual accounts until the law was given. However, in Romans chapter 5, the Bible makes it clear that through one man's disobedience, sin entered the world, and by sin, death. So, obviously, something happened for which men are dying before the law came. 
You, you follow me? Because Paul just tells, tells us that until the law, transgression was not charged or known. The law helped him to know that he was a transgressor. But all that while, though they had been seen all over the earth, and we know that the wages of sin is death, men are dying only because of sin that was already in the earth. So what they brought to me last night was, the truth of the matter is, the first law that was ever, ever spoken was spoken by God in the garden. Think about it. Adam and Eve. Of all the trees in the garden, thou mayest freely eat. Everything is still fine then. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat. For in the day that thou eatest, die of, in that day thou shalt surely die. Now, we know the story. They ate, and then men started dying. Men started dying from that point on. Let's fast forward to where we are now. How many of us understand that when you have a child in a house and you have toys all around and you say to that child, this one toy is a no-go. Don't go near it. How long does it take before the child finds the particular toy you said not to mess with? This is huge. Because, you see, the entire premise of the law of Moses began, that genesis of it, began even right there in Genesis chapter uh, 2 when God spoke to Adam and Eve not to eat. And the point here is, the very thing you tell people not to do is exactly what they do. That is the futility of the law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Wow, what is it about adultery? They don't want me to, I'm going to go do it. Thou shalt not steal. There must be something wonderful about stealing. I'm going to go try it out. So all the thou shalt nots. All these things that's intended to keep us from being something, if we choose to live by those things, I'm telling you, it's nothing but an exercise in futility. So, Romans 3.20 tells us that for by the law, no, not that, that therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. So this body of rules, this law that God gave to Israel, the best way to describe it and summarize it was that they were the housekeeping rules for that season. And God's response, we always depend on the house rules of the particular dispensation. So back in Moses' day, God dealt with his people based on his house rules. If you do this, I'll do that. If you don't do this, I won't do that. So the issue and the problem for me and you is, we are in a different day. We are in a different era. And we must recognize that these things that were given to Israel, first of all, we are not Jews. No offense on the Jews. This law was given 
to the Jewish nation. Now, the principles behind them, the reason for which God gave them, they are good reasons, they are valid reasons. But we don't use those reasons as the focal point of our work with God. That's the problem. There is only one focal point. His name is Jesus. And that's what I'm going to show you tonight. Amen? Amen. Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Paul, (laughs) I'll be honest, I I did not, I know Paul was a great man, great apostle, great revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, but I did not appreciate him as I'm appreciating him now. The things that guy wrote, I can tell you, he did not get them from a commentary. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. Please listen to this argument. But, if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then, if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress, but if her husband dies, she's free from that law, so that she's no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. Who is this other? To him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Oh my goodness. Did you hear what Paul just said there? As long as a woman is married to a man under the law and the man leaves, she's under obligation. If the woman will leave that man while the man is alive and went and be joined to another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But when and if the man dies, the woman becomes free and she's now able to marry another. Then in verse 4, Paul said, let me nail it for you. This is exactly what has happened to you and I. When Jesus went to that cross, you and I were placed in him. And as far as God is concerned, you died when he died. That's why Paul could say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, yet I live. He said, but the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. So Paul is saying to me and you, listen, you already died. Therefore, you are no longer under any obligation to obey the laws of do's and don'ts 
But he's not asking you and I to become neutral. He's not saying, okay, you are not under any obligation to the law any longer, so just hang free and hang loose. No. He said, now you are married. It was automatic. The day you came to Jesus Christ, on that same day, God cut you away from the elements and the rudiments of what the law represented and place you in him. So ladies and gentlemen, you are no longer under the law, but you are now married to grace. Because grace and Jesus are synonymous. That's why the Bible says the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. You are dead to the law, but alive in Christ. The demands of the law give way to the supply that's available in Christ. You died to demands, but you are now alive to supplies. I don't know anybody here tonight who needs a supply. The demand and the obligation of the law has bound you, and you are not able to let loose and become free, the free person that God has created you to be. But God wants you to know you should not be living under the burden of a demand of a law that's not meant to do you any good but rather you should exercise your dominion and your authority because in Christ is the supply. That's why the Bible says for God shall supply all of my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We are no longer under obligation. We are now in privilege. We are divorced to the law and we are married to Mr. Grace. Hallelujah! Glory to God. This is what happened. This is the truth. And to make this more real, let's go to John chapter 15. This, all of these scriptures are now coming alive. Yes. What a powerful argument Paul just made in Romans 7. Yes. You're free. You've died to the law. You're free to marry grace. Yes. To marry Jesus. And then I'm going to show you what happens when you're married to him. I'm going to show you what happens. In John chapter 15, in verses 1 and 2, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, it takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, it prunes that it may bear more fruit. Let, let me leave that alone for one second. Let me go to John chapter 14 for a minute. I'm going to come back to John 15. Because now that you are married to grace, married to Jesus, it means you are now in union with him. In John 14 verse 20, He says, at that day you will know, look at what he says, that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He's describing the union. 
The union that takes place when you divorce the law and marry grace is describing it so you understand exactly what's taking place. Let me read it again. I am in my father and you in me and I in you. So you ask yourself the question, how in the heck can Jesus be saying this? Because you know now that Jesus is in heaven. But yet it says, I'm also in you. Your head is telling you Jesus is no longer here. He's ascended and moved on to glory. But at the same time, he's saying to you, I'm in my father. You are in me. And I in you. He's saying, how does that happen? It's called the Holy Spirit. It's called the Holy Spirit. You see, because in his earthly ministry, yes, he was with them. And because he was with them, really, he was limited by time and space. He could only be in one place at one time. So he says to them in John chapter 16, it is expedient for me, for you, that I go away. Because if I do not go away, I will still be limited. I can only be with Greg right now. I can only be with the body at some other time. But when I go away, I will be able to multiply myself. Because now, when I come back to you, I'm not coming back in physical flesh. I'm coming by my spirit. And I will be able to be with as many of you as possible at any given time. This is an operation of the spirit. Amen? He had been with them. Now, he will be in them. He goes on to say to them in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm taking the time to read these passages. I'm saying that because I want your mind to be flooded with the power of God's love towards you. I will not leave you as orphans. What do we know about orphans? They have no parents. So God wants you to know that even though he's living, he's checking out, physically so, even though I'm gone, I want you to be aware I've got you covered. Whatever I'm able to do for you while I'm here presently with you, while I'm gone, you will not miss me one bit of a second. I will not leave you as orphans. You have a place to stay. You have food to eat, clothes to wear. Education is taken care of. Everything you can ever ponder that you ever need, I will not leave you as an orphan. I will not leave you as an orphan. Wow. John 14 verse 23. Look at what he says to them. Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. In other words, in this new era, in this dispensation of grace, not only are you getting Jesus, you get the Father, and you get the Spirit. What does that make you and I? We are like him where we become the fullness of the Godhead. If I was to ask you tonight, where does God live? Oh my goodness. If I was to ask you to know where God lives, are you going to be pointing to heaven? Where is God's address? His address 
is bank Akimola. I don't know about you. Just as I go home with my wife tonight, and because we are united and married, we live as one. We are together. Where I am, she is. Where she is, I am. In the same fashion, God wants you to know how unique the union he has with you is. And it's so real. It's a package. Every, and, and this is the lie of religion. Religion says, I have to be some, I have to do certain things to get this. But God is saying, no, I have taken care of it. The law says, do, do, do. Grace says, done, done, done. The law demands, do this, do that. If we try hard enough, you can be like this. And grace says, no, whatever you need to be, I'll supply the enablement. I'll be your El Shaddai. I'll be your El All-Sufficiency. Leave it up to me. I am the one that's at work in you, both to do and to will of my good pleasure. Just give yourself to me and let me because you're become your focus and not your doings. It's too easy. It's stupid. Seriously. Seriously. I was talking to someone today. And they said to me, said, Pastor, you know what? I hear what you say, but my problem is, is fear. I said, you're right. We need to address that at some point. Fear. That if I just let go, suppose God don't do it. I'd rather go down in the ship with God than stand alone and try to save myself. Absolutely. On what I know now, Oh, no, 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 It's too late for the devil. That's what those three Hebrew boys knew when they told the king, oh, king, we are not mindful to pay you any attention. Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, so what? Fear! If I resign myself to the hand of God, what will happen to me? Why don't you find out? Why don't you dare God and double dare him? So now, under this grace, you and I are in union with Christ. Can you guys give me the good news translation? Hello, sir. First Corinthians chapter 1. Do we have the good news translation? It may show it as GNB. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 1. Oh, wow. I got so much. Do we have it? We don't have the good news transition. Okay. All right. All right. First Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians 1 chapter. Okay, you can read it out loud then. Let me, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. Verse 30. Just shut it out. Good news. You say, but God who has brought you into union with Christ Jesus mm-hmm. and has made Christ to be our wisdom, by whom we are put right with God, we become God's holy people and are Amen. But notice the word they used. We're in union. Mm-hmm. 
Sometimes those meanings get lost to us when we are reading scriptures. Now, the Good News translation is not your best literal translation. Let me let you know that up front. But there are times when the choice of words helps us to understand what God intends by what's happening. We're in union. It's not just being with Christ, but we're in union. And as a result of being in union, there are certain benefits that come with it. A married person who continues to live like a single person is going to miss out on many of the blessings of marriage. Similarly, a Christian who fails to draw from their union with Christ is going to miss many blessings of that union. So going back to John 15, in that verse 2, he that does not produce fruit, he says he takes away. And unfortunately, we have mistranslated what God is saying. In the margin, in your Bible, most Bibles, shall I say, will help you understand what take away means. Because think about that. I'm divine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not produce food, it takes away. And religion says that means those guys are lost. What is the purpose of grace if while I'm not being productive, it cuts me off? I'm back under the law. No, that's not what it's saying. In my margin, it says every branch that does not produce food, it lifts up. There are some of us here tonight. Oh, we have not been able to produce any fruit. We've been barren because of this reason or the other. And God wants you to know that does not define who you are. That is not the end of your career. That is not the end of who you are. His grace will be sufficient not to destroy you and cast you away, but to lift you up. He knows exactly what you need in order for you to be what he created you to be. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. I'm besides myself up here. I'm telling you the truth. And then he says, for every branch in that verse 2 that's bearing fruit, it prunes. And we have taken that verse and said, ah, I'm having a hard time now. Maybe God is pruning me. Who wants a God like that? If God is going to take me and destroy me because I'm producing food. The next verse helps us understand what he's saying. He said, I've given you my, my word. So really, God's pruning process has to do with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Every scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof. And for instruction in righteousness. Why? That every man will be thoroughly furnished unto good works. So if I'm producing some, what does he do? He brings a word into my life. And from what we said last night, I repent. Repent means I change my mind about what God has just brought to me. I adopt what God is saying. And because I adopt it, I produce more. 
It brings correction. It brings instruction. It brings reproof. And as you respond to these various dealings of God through his word, not cancer, not sickness, not poverty, no car accident. That's not how he prunes anybody. He doesn't need evil to develop you. He doesn't. And on Sunday, we're going to deal with that. God does not need evil to develop his children. Absolutely. Job is bad on wrong theology. Oh, goodness. Job is a result of where many of us are. Fear. Oh, I don't know what my children are doing tonight. Hey, who knows what they are drinking? They must be looking shinap. I offer sacrifice. Oh, my kids are in college in uh, whatever, in South Georgia. Only God knows what, they, what kind of palace they're having tonight. Oh, my goodness. God, let me go and sort out the goat. The kids have not committed any sin. They have not done anything. You are wearing yourself out. The enemy has you going back and forth and back and forth. You are praying silly prayers as if God is not able to take that which you've committed to him and keep it until the day of Jesus. So the fear is driving your relationship. The fear is driving your devotion. And then when bad things happen, you wonder why. Because you give life to your fear. You give life to it. By the things you said and did. That's not God. Now, so we know we are united. Ha! There are blessings that come out of that union. I'm not under the law. I'm married to grace. I understand that being married to grace, there are certain blessings of the union. How do I get these blessings to work in my life? This is huge. Because this is the problem for many of us. Philemon, verse 6. Philemon, verse 6. Wow. Wow. Do you guys mind if we spend five minutes extra tonight so we can pray and worship this in? Philemon uh, verse 6. It says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. There must be an acknowledgement. How do I Bring forth the blessings of the union. In the Good News Bible, instead of the word acknowledgement, it said understanding. So really both of them are at play. I need to understand the blessings of my union with Christ. But not only that, I need to acknowledge it. Just as my mouth gives life to fear. Now my mouth must also give life to blessings. I've got to acknowledge it. Number one, I need to declare the fact that I'm living free of the demands of the law. The law no longer has any hold on me. The principles behind all of those laws, rather than trying to live based on the principles, let me live based on my union with Jesus. Remember what God said in Hebrews. No longer will I have to learn the law, but he will now write it on the tablets of my heart. 
So I'm not trying to recite the law of Moses any longer. Now it's in my heart. And the Holy Spirit of God in dealing with me will begin to bring them out as I need them. So number one blessing is living free of the demands of the law. Number two is daring to claim all the blessings of the law while ignoring all the curses. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you obey, blessings come on you. If you disobey, curses. But under this new covenant, you and I can definitely live out the blessings while totally ignoring the curses that the violation brings. Why? Because it's not on us. It's all on him. And it's paid for by the power of the blood. So number three, you and I now become happy branches of a vine who fulfilled the law on our behalf. Oh my God. How many of you will admit tonight that the vine is blessed? The vine. Who is the vine? Jesus. Do you agree that the vine is blessed? Do you really agree that the vine, Jesus is blessed? If the vine is blessed, how about the branches? We have no other excuse because the vine cannot exist apart from the branches. Neither can the branches apart from the vine. We are in uniquely connected. So if the vine is blessed, what is true of the vine is automatically true of its branches. No wonder Paul says in Romans 11, in verse 6, he said, if the root be holy, so are the branches. Automatic. Blessings of the union. How about authority? To prosper. To cast out devils. To heal the sick. All of those things are packaged in your union together with him. The issue is we are not acknowledging or we don't understand. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 5, the goodness transition says, we are rich in all things. I keep on telling people, how do you get this to happen to you? That's, that's a, a whole different message entirely. But I'm telling you, we need to change the way we pray. I'm no longer praying for healing. I'm commanding healing. He did not tell those disciples to go and pray for, this, to, to pray for healing. He said, go and heal them. Go and heal them. So I'm not praying. I'm not begging Jesus. Jesus, please move by your spirit. Please heal, heal this diabetes. No. Speak to diabetes. In the authority of being a branch on the vine. Tell diabetes it does not belong here. Authority. That's why the issue of confidence comes in. If you don't know who you are, which we're going to get into identity. If you don't know who you are, you tiptoeing around the devil. You, you, you're like, the devil, please do me a favor. Devil, please, uh, just do me a favor. What kind of nonsense is that? You don't tiptoe around the devil. You tell the devil where to go. But the enemy knows when you have no confidence. That's why John said, this is the confidence that I have in him. That if I ask anything according to his name, I have the assurance that he grants the petition. 
What's confidence? If you're tiptoeing and afraid that, oh, well, maybe I sinned this morning. Uh, God does not like me anymore. Um, God is angry with me. Maybe it robs you of your confidence before God. God made him, Jesus, to be sin. That knew no sin. That you may become the righteousness of God in him. If you are born again, you are righteous. End of story. Has nothing to do with what I did or did not do. Forget that. That's taking you back under the law. And except your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you are in trouble. If you go back to the law. Very, very clearly. Okay, let me read one scripture. I think it's in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Is Sir Wednesday here? Romans 6, 14. Look at what it says for you as a believer. For sin shall, have, shall not have dominion over you. It is not possible. Why? For you are not under the law, but under grace. If I see a believer who is entangled in sin that they cannot get out of, then I know they're not in union. They're not in union. They're not in union. They are still trying to do things on their own. They are under a curse of trying to walk the law. Because grace comes to enable us to do that which we cannot do. Okay. Let me just close it out. The purpose of the union. So we know there are blessings. But we should not misunderstand the blessings for the purpose. The purpose of the union. The blessings of our union are many and wonderful, but they pale in comparison to the ultimate purpose of union, which is what? To share his life. Ah! This is the real purpose of the union. Mr. Sean, why are you married to this woman? Because of, of her hairstyle? Well, I said, I want to. Okay, so that's so that, that art. <laughs> but when you married Grace, you married Grace to share your lives together. You bring your lives together and in union, you share your lives. Which means you are loved to love and to enjoy fellowship. What do I mean by this? What am I saying by this? There should be times in this union when you and I just sit down and just reflect on this blesser. I'm not thinking now of the blessings it brings because really it's bigger than the blessings. But just get lost in reflection about this love that it has for me. This love that changes my love song back in the day, really a few months ago, Psalm 27 was huge for me. This one thing have I thought. Remember that Psalm 27 verse 4? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. This one thing do I seek and that shall I follow after. That I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever to behold his beauty and inquire in his temple. 
I'm sorry. Old Testament. I used to like that psalm. And I still like it. But I have to change my paradigm shift. I'm not seeking him to dwell in his house. I am now his house. Things have changed. Back in the day, I have to go to his house. When I was cutting my wife, I had to go to her house. But the day I put the ring on her finger, she vacated that house and came to my house. So my house became her house. And together we make a home in that house. And now we share our lives together. And I'm saying to you, that's exactly what Jesus desires of you and I. That's why I say in him we live and in him we move and in him we have our being. That's where it's taking us to. And it's going to take grace to get there. Are you awake, sir? Can we just thank him tonight? We give you glory, Lord, as we
Oh! 